Well, good evening. It's a pleasure to be with you this second uh, second week in our series. I guess the third week in Lent. So uh, I thought this was a great series. None of the priests voted for anything else when uh, Father Lee threw out a few options, and we're all like, "My favorite martyr." Though I was also, I was been throwing around different uh, names in my head. Can I get a witness? Is my is my number one. <laughs> it's really bad. Uh, tonight, I'm I'm really I really am honored to tell you the story. Uh, if you've never heard it, or perhaps if you have, of Perpetua and Felicity. This story, uh, they, they they were martyrs in the uh, the very early third century. I mean, so these are very very close in timeline to Christ and the apostles. At one point, St. Augustine had to convince a group of people that this story shouldn't be in the Bible. That's how popular it was, that people were saying, yeah, 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 you got Acts and Book of James, we agree. Oh, and then the story of Perpetua and Felicity, uh, and, and Augustine had to sort of lay down the law and say, I love it as much as you do. There are certain rules about what makes Scripture, <laughs> and we're not going to put it in there. Um, but, but he would, uh, almost every year, there's lots of sermons of Augustine recorded of him telling this story in different ways. So this, these two women would have been synonymous uh, just with Christianity for hundreds of years. Uh, and so I've chosen to sort of uh, take the firsthand account, which we have, that uh, we believe Perpetua wrote and then was probably given to someone else, and they, they edited some and then added two uh, because it includes her death. So very likely she didn't write that. And I don't know, it's, it's, things happen. Um, and so I, I've decided to take that and sort of retell it in a bit of a dramatic fashion uh, to hopefully put us there as closely as we possibly can. I, I found some art online. This is sort of the traditional icon of the two. They're the patron saints of best friends, by the way. So if you have a best friend, this is a great icon to get them. Uh, but I found an artist who, uh, two different artists who interpreted uh, the traditional iconography for a more modern, uh, as if we could see these people walk into our church this morning. And so I chose to use that. Uh, so hopefully that even puts us in the story even more. So let us begin. She passed her newborn son through the iron bars. The child was not yet weaned. Born into a noble family, Perpetua likely could have shirked the responsibility, but she had not. Now the boy would either have to become accustomed to the breasts of another, or forswear this form of milk altogether. Sad as she was, Perpetua found it fitting. As a catechumen, she had not expected to rise to the occasion now before her, at least not yet. But the simple milk catechesis had come to an end when she was abruptly arrested. Now the meat of martyrdom was spread out before her, a feast that one could come to by faith alone. Her father begged her, 
to give up her seat at the table, but she would not forsake so lovely an invitation. He appealed to her through every means that he could think of, but all of his offerings were pitiful compared with the table adorned before her now, let alone when she called to mind the one who had prepared it. Look at the water jug in the corner, Father, she said, and he turned to it. Can you call it by any other name? Can you deny what it is? Confused, he replied, of course not, my daughter. In the same way, no one can call me but what I am, a Christian. He retorted, what of your child? His last line of defense, thinking that this dagger would do her in. She thought on his words. It seems to be more fitting, she said, that I may teach him by my absence instead of my presence. That he will know his mother belonged to the kingdom of heaven. And she paid for that citizenship with her life. But it was a citizenship only afforded her because God had first paid the greatest price. And her sum seemed small in comparison. Disappointed, despondent, her father left. A few days later, that water jug in the corner would serve as the baptismal font as Perpetua and the other catechumens were welcomed into the Christian family in full. No more a nobleman's daughter, no more a nobleman's mother, yet she had become a mother and daughter more true of a king who once said, whoever does not hate father and children, who does not even scorn their own life, cannot be my disciple. If it was true, then it changed everything. If God, if God had become a slave, then slaves might share in the life of God. This was remarkable enough, but to hear the Christians tell it, it was even better than that. Slaves would, in fact, have an easier road to walk. The hopeless, the desperate ones, those with less to cling to, would find it easier to fit through the needle's eye than those burdened like beasts by their wealth. The ones in the front of the line, it seems, would be so occupied trying to figure out what to get rid of so that they might squeeze through that the ones in the back who had less to carry had time to pass those in the front and enter in before them. Yet all things were possible with God. So when Felicity's master, Perpetua, Join the catechumens, she rejoiced. She could not have imagined that it would have led them both to prison, but some people, it turns out, were not thrilled with the idea that a deity would prefer the wretched of the world over riches and royalty. Felicity was not overly concerned with this. She knew it was a possibility. In fact, it had always been possible that the empire would view the death 
of such people as more useful than their living. What had seemed impossible, that God, the true God, would stand opposed to the empire, would himself be put to death by it. Well, that was the only real surprise. Yet Felicity was worried. The public execution had been set. It was to celebrate the emperor's birthday. The baby, which kicked inside her, could come any day. But if it did not come soon, she would have to watch her friends die without her. For the Romans, savage as they were, knew that the child within her should be spared its mother's fate. And the child was. A few days before the execution, her contractions began. Perpetua was there. She was the only other woman who'd been arrested with a group of catechumens, and she was a mother herself. Felicity had served a similar role when Perpetua's son had been born months earlier. And yet she had never imagined at the time that their roles might be reversed, that the master might become the slave. But she wondered why it was so unexpected to her, given everything else she knew. For she knew that the king of kings did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a slave, and had become obedient to death, even death on a cross. The women held each other close as the sound of the crowd reached a maddening crescendo. They wanted blood, a ravenous hungering for violence that would fill any reasonable person with fear. But these women were not reasonable, and so they did not quiver. For they well knew that blood did not necessarily mean death. For men have died without spilling blood, but none have ever been born without it being shed. Blood is life. The blood of the martyrs, the seed of the church, and the place it falls, the welcoming womb of the groaning creation, crying out for new birth. Perpetua hadn't seen her son in weeks. Felicity bid her infant daughter farewell only hours before the moment came. One of the faithful sisters would raise Felicity's daughter, and in this Felicity rejoiced. But no greater joy could these women have felt than to lay down their life in love. Love for each other, surely. Love for their friends, yes. But love for Jesus, their Savior, above all. Before it was over, they would have been mauled by a wild bull, ravaged by a leopard's claws, As they stood weak in the midst of the crowd, they exchanged the kiss of peace, the kiss that Paul instructed believers to greet one another with, a holy kiss. And some in the crowd wept. They wept for their own bloodlust. 
They wept for their own wickedness. They wept for belonging to a world like this one when suddenly they saw with striking clarity that another world exists. It was at last that Perpetua would even have to guide the hand of the nervous, novice swordsman to finish the job. Interlocking her fingers with the limp fingers of Felicity beside her, who was already dead, and guiding the sword to her neck with the other hand, she left this world with a smile. And as such as these, we remember and we give honor. Honor your father, scriptures say. Honor your mother also. The ones who faced pain that you might have life. If we call ourselves Christians, we are each of us in some way children of these women who despised not death's terrors because they knew the joy set before them. We are each sons of Perpetua. We are daughters of Felicity all. Thanks be to God for such as these. Thanks be to God for those who witnessed to Jesus. Even in the midst of pain and terror. For if Jesus Christ is not Lord in the face of that, then he is not Lord at all. But these women know the truth, that he was. And read and close in prayer. We'll read this again on the Monday in Holy Week. It's a fitting end to this story, and it's a fitting beginning as we'll do the Stations of the Cross right after this. This is from the Collect for Monday in Holy Week. Almighty God, whose most dear son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.